Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 41. Don't be worried, Michelle. We're going to cover a lot of ground. She just, Michelle just gave me this look like, uh, he's going to go how far this morning? Okay. Um, I'm going to read you the parable of the lamp. We're going to, we'll pray this morning and speak from God's word. And then Jesus asked them, by the way, we don't know when, we don't know if this directly follows the explanation of the parable of the sower and the seeds. But verse 21, it says, Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Let's go to the Lord and pray, asking for His guidance as we look into His Word, and also... uh for him to uh, watch over those who keep watch over us, to uh, keep us safe and ensure our freedoms. And Mike Palovic, if you would, would you leave some quick word of prayer? I'm the I'm the youngest of three, and my my mother, by the time I came along, had put up with a little bit, and then when I came along, she ended up having to put up with a lot. Uh, I I learned at a quick age what honoriness was because I had a grandfather who they had chosen to name me after, and he took a real shine to me. My grandfather loved a really good practical joke. He loved to laugh. He loved any occasion that he could just just giggle. And I don't know how he instilled that in us, but he got us looking at things from a little bit different perspective sometimes. And sometimes he would he would teach us just those little those little bitty fun little things that I, you have to learn from somebody else that'll that just end up making you laugh. Like one day. We were sitting in the floor, my, my cousin and I, we were probably playing with like little army men or G.I. Joe action figures or something, and somebody knocked on the door, and there was this routine in my grandparents' house on that the farm they lived on that if someone knocked on the door, my grandmother would say, come in, and her poodle would bark. Just one bark. So it was, come in, poof, I mean, every time. And so my grandfather walks by us in the floor and just nudges me with his foot, Goes over to a cabinet and goes, like that. My grandmother said, come in, and the dog barked. And I look at my cousin, I'm like, oh, we can have fun with this. So for like the next hour, every time it got a little quiet, or if my grandmother started to nod off in her chair while watching her stories, um, one of us would knock on a piece of wood furniture, Granny would wake up, say, come in, and the dog would bark. My grandfather finally came in from wherever he was working out and said, you boys need to stop or she's going to go get a switch for you. Um, so I learned this at a really early age. About, I think I was 12 years old, maybe 13. I had, hadn't been in the youth group very long. And the Baptist church that we went to in Fort Smith was a pretty good-sized church. Our auditorium sat about 300 people. We had four sections of pews, like two in the middle with aisle going up the middle and two on the sides. And then... In a really weird way, and it, it, it's kind of hard to describe. Imagine if we had a set of chairs facing to the stage this way and something on the other side. It's where the choir would go sit. They wouldn't go join everybody else after the pastor started speaking because they would come at the end. The choir would always do like a choir uh, special song as church ended. Um, and so that's just kind of how they'd always done it. So they would go sit on either side or if it's a smaller group, just on one side. Now, my mother's only like 4'10". And uh, we had these really good friends uh, that we knew. Actually, my parents knew them before I was even born in Oklahoma City. 
and they went to another uh, church, and they, my dad and him met during softball. Dallas slid into third base, and my dad didn't tag him, and they struck up a friendship that is still existing to this day. And so uh, Dallas ended up, uh, through my dad and a couple other people that they knew, ended up getting a job in Fort Smith, and so they moved there, and my parents really loved it because they were just, they were like brother like a brother and sister to them. They were, they were family to us. Their kids were either our age or within a year of us growing up. So, I mean, we grew up with the, uh, the Melvin girls as, as I used to just call them. So we would, um, spend a lot of time together and Dallas was just a really kind hearted guy, but Dallas himself, barely five foot tall. So when the choir would go sit on the sides, Dallas wouldn't sit with the men. He would actually go and sit on the end of the row next to my mother because if he sat back behind anybody, he couldn't see. He always reminded me of Zacchaeus, okay? So I, I'm, I'm in church one morning, and the choir gets done singing. you gotta, you got to keep in mind, this is the late 80s when big, poofy hairdos were the thing. Not froze. It's not a fro. just perfect, like the... Like we worked for 20 hours with curl, with curlers to get this thing to work. Okay. My, my mother just always gave up. She just like, you know, she would try and it just would like fall. So she wouldn't do it. But there were a couple ladies who had this haircut. Dallas's wife, Vita was one of them. Anyway, so we're sitting in church and the choir goes down and my parents thought it would be a good idea for me to sit next to my brother for the first few years that I was in youth group. Boy, were they wrong. Um, part of it was they knew that he, my brother's hard of hearing were hearing aids in both ears. So they, I think my dad thought, well, they're not going to be able to whisper in church because James is going to have to talk really loud and it's going to be really obvious. Um, and you may see that, not mean that's how my dad would think. So I'm sitting next to my brother in church and I look over and we would always kind of glance over to see if mom was catching us cutting up or anything. I mean, because that's just how kids are. And we're just sitting there and I look over and doubt the choir is just, they walk over and they would all sit at the same time, like 30 people sitting at the same time. And when Dallas sits down, and from my perspective where I was sitting, he went from being bald like I am now to having a big poofy hairdo. Now keep in mind, who's he sitting next to? My mom. So in the best way that I can, and those of you who know me really well, Cade will know this really well, I cannot hold in laughter. Once it starts, it just, it's obvious. Like, like last Sunday, Angie was, did something that made me giggle up here on stage while we were like singing. And so I'm like trying to play and she knew like he's holding in laughter and I know he's laughing at me. So I'm just sitting there and I just, I made the mistake, Zach. Now as an older brother, when a younger, when your younger brother nudges your arm and you can tell he's shaking because he's holding in laughter, don't look. Don't look, because my brother is worse at holding in laughter than I am. So I nudge my brother, and he goes, what? And I go, Dallas has a fro now. And he goes, what? And I go, look at Dallas. And my brother does this. (laughs) What I did not know is that my brother then nudges the person next to him, who then nudges the person next to them, who eventually down the line, it's some of Dallas's own children. Now, all my mother has seen was me look at her direction and laugh. And I don't know if she was praying down a curse for me to go blind 
or fall asleep. But she was looking at me saying something, and I'm looking at her, and then she goes, Dad was in the sound booth upstairs where they didn't keep the lights on during church. It was darker. And I turn around, and he looks at me, and he goes, Now, Dad's 6'3", and when he's up on a, in a balcony, he looks way taller because it's just perspective. This is all about perspective. So we go up there, and we're still giggling because no matter what the punishment is about to happen, we know A or B. Dad's going to tell us to sit there and be quiet and watch the worst. We won't get to watch TV the rest of the afternoon or something. Or we're going to tell Dad what we saw and dad himself, who's one of Dallas's best friends, is really going to laugh hard about the thing. So we go there, we go to the stairwell, and dad meets at the, at the bottom, and he says, what's so funny? And I said, dad, when, when Mr. Dallas sat down, all I could see was the lady behind him's hair, and then it looked like he went from bald to poof, like that. I said, I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have nudged Clay, I shouldn't have done it. And he goes, I didn't see that from my perspective. I didn't see that. Sit here for the rest of the service. And then I proceed to hear my dad up there with the other guy in the sound booth laughing about it. <laughs> and then after church, they told my mother, who thought it was really funny. But it was all about perspective. It's all like seeing something. So that's what my mother, that was probably like a weekly basis with my mother. Okay. I, I started to believe that she'd ask if they could sit on the sides so she, they could watch the teenagers. And from then on, I wasn't allowed to sit by my older brother anymore. I had to sit by my older sister, and she's not any fun. Okay. Um, but perspective. Sometimes we only see our own. We get caught up in either what we get fixated on and what we can only see or what we sometimes only want to see. And Jesus with the disciples, and, and as Christ grows in us, as we become more and more like him, is pulling us away from that perspective where we just see what we want to see. To really see things from how he sees them. Because sometimes all we can really see is just what's in front of us. And I mean like right there in front of us. Sometimes we can't get the real big picture of what's going on. So when Jesus teaches in parables and, and in different ways, he's he's trying to get them to broaden their idea of the, the kingdom of God, that kingdom perspective of of where God is coming from. Because sometimes things don't make a lot of sense and sometimes we we have those questions of why? Why now? Why this? Why in this moment? And sometimes there are little bitty things that are just annoying. And sometimes they're huge and they're catastrophic and they're heartbreaking. And we don't get it. So sometimes God can help us take a step back and see things from a broader Perspective. So what I want to do is quickly talk to you about three miracles that give a kingdom perspective and you can really, I mean, three parables that give a real kingdom perspective and then how one miracle kind of brings it all around. Now the miracle is, I would say it's my second favorite miracle in the Bible. Um, my first one involves food. That's, that's a given, the feeding of the 5,000. Zach's like with me. He's like, yes, yes, fish sandwiches. Um, I love that one. But I love Jesus calming the storm. I just there's just something about it that grips me every time I read it. I'm like, man, I wish I would have been there because I've been on that boat on a lake when it starts raining, 
where there's a little bit of thunder and you're trying to make it back to shore because the waves are getting a little bit higher and you went out there not to ski but to fish. If you were out there skiing and, and tubing, it's one thing, but if you were out there to go fishing and the rain starts coming in, that's that's scary. It's really scary. It's really scary when you can't see the shore on the other side and it's supposed to be daytime. And so here are these guys in here and Jesus has given them a little bit of a, of a glimpse of what the kingdom is supposed to be. So let's take a look at it. The first thing, the first thing I want to do though is talk about the kingdom of God. I want to kind of set a, a definition for us today. The kingdom of God is, is everything under God's control and in, 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 in a sense, everything God is doing. And when Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand, meant that it's, it's realizing its full potential in the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, God always in control. God always sovereign, but the full realization of it is in the life and work of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And that without him, none of this can even begin to make any sense. The same Jesus that, that we proclaim in song this morning is the same Jesus who's about to teach them about a lamp, about a about a farmer and about a little a little tiny seed. He's the same Jesus who's going to calm the storm for them. He's the same Jesus as we teach to the youth group that he came. We give these wristbands out to the to the kids in the youth group to help them share their faith or remember what they believe and that he came and that he died and that he rose and that he ascended into heaven and that we look to the day that he's coming back. That's the, the same Jesus that I feel privileged that I had a mother who grew up making sure I knew that story. The same mother who, who a lot of weeks when I didn't want to go to church drugged me. And in those moments when I didn't think that there was a lesson to be learned taught me. It's the same Jesus that we talk about today. So have that in mind and it's in your notes that it, this is, the kingdom is, is what God is is do is doing. It's everything under his control and it's fully realized in Jesus. So Jesus first to talks out, he doesn't mention the kingdom per se. He said, would anyone and I and I and I think of uh something my, my mother would say right here, in in their right mind. My mother used to use that phrase like well, in your right mind. Are you in your right mind? This is the first parable we're gonna look at, David, if you would. Parable number one, how no one uses a lamp. No one l- lights a lamp. And sticks it under something. I mean, you might turn on a flashlight and look under a bed, but Jeff, that's not what this is talking about. And you gotta keep in mind, they didn't have light bulbs and electricity. No one lights a lamp on fire and sets something on top of it, Clay, do they? Because what's the possible outcome of that? Yeah, fire. It's either you're going to set fire to the thing you set on top of and destroy it in the dwelling around you, or you're going to completely snuff out the light that's there. It's one or two outcomes with this lamp. So would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Would anybody put it in a place where it can't be seen? Uh, of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where it is meant to shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and everything secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen 
and understand. And then Jesus adds that they're to pay close attention to what they hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, you'll be, you will receive more. And to those who listen to my teaching, Jesus says, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. So think about it like this. How no one uses a lamp. From a kingdom perspective, our faith is meant to be shown. Our faith is meant to come out to light. Michael this morning read uh, from Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Our faith isn't meant to be something that is placed away. It's meant to come out in everything. And this is this is something that a lot of us really, I mean, we know this. From, from the way we parent, to the way we work, to, to the words we say, to how we socialize. It's meant, our faith is meant to, to bubble up. It's meant to come out in every single little thing that we do. We're meant to let it just really have its root in everything. That's why Brad, uh, Teaches is why I teach that Jesus isn't number one on a list. He's not a, a sliver in the pie chart of our lives. He's the he's the center where everything touches. We're home, work, obviously church, but our social lives. Everything that you can think of in your life is meant to touch your relationship with Christ and where your relationship with Christ has a an effect on it. It, it changes how we decide things. It's not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to put on. Now this morning I, I wore my youth group t-shirt because, why Zach? Because true to the crew, right? You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand with my guys up here with the t-shirts. That's right. Our faith isn't something we're just meant to put on on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday. Or if we go to a Bible study on a Tuesday afternoon or on a Friday evening where we might go to a Christian concert. It's meant to be all the time. Touching every little spot of our lives, showing up in ways to the point like it's like a light bulb. In our, in our house, up in Marlowe, we have a light in our attic. A light in our attic that during the building process kept getting flipped on and then we would leave. And then I would come back and I would go to another part of the attic because we had like kind of two little accesses. And I'd be like, oh, that light, I left it on again. Or somebody got out there and worked on something and left it again. Now, one of them has like a normal attic stairs going up. The other one, I have to get a ladder. And I don't have a tall enough ladder to get it. So if you can imagine me trying to make up the last two and a half feet to get up there, go ahead and laugh, Cade. You can laugh out loud. It's, you don't have to hide the laughter, buddy. It's okay. Um, but this light will illuminate the whole thing. I mean, a little bit of light, one light bulb makes a lot of difference. If we were to turn off all the lights in here and just light one light bulb, that light bulb, once our eyes kind of got into used to the darkness, the light would just kind of start to spread. And then as soon as all the lights came back on, we'd be like, well, it's a big difference. Light, you can't hide it. And it's not meant to be hidden. It makes no sense to hide light. Just like our faith. It's meant to be shown. It's meant to come out. So you have that about faith. And the second parable he, he tells is about a farmer. And now my grandfather had a, uh, had a seventh grade education. That's all he did because he, as the story as we've been told is that he didn't want to take algebra. That he just couldn't wrap his head around it. 
He'd seen his older siblings try to work out that kind of math, and he just didn't like math, so he decided to go work in the fields and go learn a trade. And eventually became a forest ranger. My grandfather would even admit that there's some things he just didn't understand how they worked. He just knew that they did. And that's what Jesus is saying. Farmers, they don't know everything. They don't know the whole science. Now, now we have years and years of scientific research that we can sit down and tell you how a plant grows and everything. I guarantee you my father, my grandfather, he probably heard the word photosynthesis. He probably did not know what it meant. Because he didn't have to. He just knew this. He knew if he put his seeds in the ground and the ground was clean and he kept the ground free of weeds and kept the, uh, the, the garden area free of varmints, as he would put it, the plants would grow. And if there wasn't enough rain, if he put water out there, the plants would grow. I mean, he, he knew the basics of what happened. Well, Jesus goes to explain to his disciples, you, you've got to understand the kingdom. How can I describe the kingdom? Well, it's this. The kingdom is like a farmer who scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Get that? He does not understand how it happens. The earth produces crops of its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of the wheat are formed, and finally the the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. He says... A farmer may not understand the whole process, but he at least he understands how it works. And for the farmer in this parable, he doesn't have to understand how it all works. See, I, I think our biggest hang-up sometimes as believers is the is the question, why? 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 Our, our kids ask that. Mom, how many how many of you have, as moms have heard the question, why? In the I'll, I'll be nice in the last. Well, I, I know from yours. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Say in the last month. Why? Or why not? If they ask permission, can I go do that? Why not? We get that a lot around our house. Why not? My dad's favorite phrase was just say no. I mean, he told me later that I just said no to you sometimes because I could. I'm like, what? It doesn't make sense. He said, I just wanted you to know I was in charge. And I'm like, like I ever doubted that? But why? We ask that a lot. And really, there are some things we're not, maybe even this side of heaven, meant to know why. And that's hard. It's, that's, that's the hard part. Sometimes the question is, how? How are we going to get through this? How is this going to get fixed? It's like bugs that come crawling in your house and you don't know how to stop them. And no matter what you put down, they just wave at you as they go by. You're like, that's awesome. How? Jesus, I think, is essentially telling us right here that sometimes we don't need to focus on the questions of what we don't understand. Sometimes we just need to understand that it works. And that's faith. So the kingdom of God involves a bit of the unknown. It's meant to be shown, our faith is meant to be shown, but there's some moments where we, it's okay for us to say, I don't know. Or admit, we don't know. There's a guy by the name of Greg Steer who teaches evangelism training 
and uh, he holds these conferences, especially for teenagers, to teach them how to share faith with their friends. And one of the first things that he teaches students is when your friend has a question that you don't know how to answer, just tell them I don't know. But that you'll do your best to find out, but right now you don't know. He said the worst thing you can do is make up an answer. But it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why some things end up happening the way they do. I don't know why some things end up working out the way they do. I'm, I want to share something a little bit of a way. A lot of you know that we've, we, we've been able to build a house through uh, the generosity of a, a family member and a few other things. And it's, and it's been an awesome experience. What some of you don't know is that there was a lot of prayer that went into it, not just to what to do, but the timing of things. Some of you know this. Some of you have heard a little bit about this. But I want to share with you about prayer and about how I realize I'm not, sometimes I don't pray specifically enough when my wife does. With our adoption, there's a lot of tricky paperwork involved, especially if you move. And there's expensive paperwork if you move. I mean, to, for us to move from one location to another at the, at the inconvenient time and the wrong time when something's not meant to be renewed can cost us several thousand dollars. Just for the paperwork, Jeff. Just for the State Department to say, okay, they moved. Which baffles me. So Shauna began to pray. And I'm, honey, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but I, she doesn't care. This is awesome. So she began to pray, Lord, I pray we sell this house at the right time. Not only did she pray, Lord, I pray we sell this house at the right time. Lord, I pray that we sell this house to somebody who will let us rent it back from them until our house is done so we can move. Well, she shares this with a realtor who's also a believer. And she's like, you know, I'll be praying that too. But you could kind of hear a little bit of the doubt in her voice like, this is Duncan. People don't buy houses and then rent them back to somebody. They buy houses and move into them. Like in Dallas or something, you might get that. Or in the city, you might get that. That doesn't happen a lot here. We haven't sold our house. People have barely looked at it. And then in a week's time, four people look at it, including one person who's overseas, whose realtor walks through with a iPad in the person's on FaceTime looking at the house. Okay, that's the person who put in an offer on our house. Put in an offer on our house based on FaceTime, which is really dangerous. But um, I do not recommend anybody does that. Not because our house was in bad shape, but just that on FaceTime? It did. Put in an offer. So puts in an offer. A few days later, our, our which was absolutely acceptable, by the way, which was absolutely what she had been praying for that we needed, but then it gets better because I don't know how this works, but the guy who's, who bought our house in Duncan says, hey, by the way, I'm not moving there till June. And why you buy a house in January when you're not moving till June? Again, Scott, I don't understand. Would you guys like to rent it back from me till your house is done? I don't understand, Steve. Steve, yeah, yeah. The kingdom of God involves a bit of the unknown, and that's a small thing. That's the right timing just so we're not stressed on paperwork. A bit of the, the kingdom involves a bit of the unknown. I don't understand how it works sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work exactly how, 
how we want. I just understand that it does. It's like the farmer who puts the seed in the ground and says, I can't tell you the whole entire process, but I know this. You put the seed in the ground, you water it, and let some sunlight come, it will sprout up and it will grow into a plant. It's like the guy who had been born blind. I don't know if the guy who healed me was good or bad, but I do know this. Once I was blind, and now I see. He's essentially saying, I don't know who Jesus is, but I know somebody put some mud on my eyes. I think there was spit involved. And now I see. It involves a bit of the unknown. Lastly, third thing, small seeds and big trees. How can I describe the kingdom of God? Verse 30. What should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground, the smallest of seeds, and it becomes the largest of all garden plants. And it grows long branches. And birds can nest in its shade. And then Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables, the word tells us. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Small seeds. I mean, mustard seeds are small. They are tiny. And I wish I could have brought in a mustard tree for you all to see, but I just, I just can't. They're huge. They're, they're awesome. It's like willow trees. When I, when I think of a mustard seed, I kind of think of a willow tree too. I mean, they're just huge, big, draping things. I mean, they're just massive from a little bitty tiny seed. I mean, a tiny seed that about the size of a, a small flea. Not a flea, but a small flea. That's a mustard seed. But it grows into something big. You see, the kingdom isn't just uh, a little bit of the unknown. The kingdom of God is meant to leave us, and I'm going to use a phrase that we use a lot as kids, meant to leave us with minds blown. Like, where we just stand back and go, whoa. How did that just happen in that way? Or, God, you're amazing. God, you're awesome. You might just ever have that morning where you just, I don't know if it's in God's word or if it's just in, the, in listening to Christian music or you're just meditating on the word or something in some way and God just laid something on your heart and then you're stuck with it the rest of the day and you're just like, wow. Gene, you ever get like that? You're just, wow. Wow. How is this? How can this happen? And a lot of times it's it's those moments of the unknown that lead us to be like, I can't even wrap my head around what God just did. It's amazing. Those moments for like a, a new believer are amazing. Zach, who we got to baptize, it was a moment of change in his life and he's not the same kid. It's awesome to see that. And that's why... The kingdom is meant to do in our lives. That's why when it bubbles up and it is shown, and even those moments where we say, I don't know, but I'm just going to press through with my faith, we come out on the other side saying, again, I can't explain how it happened, but I can just tell you that it just did. So let's take this home in a kingdom perspective real quick. Let's look at it this way. The disciples are in a boat, and, and a lot of us know this story. They're They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee. And they're going to the other side. And you know whose idea it was, Phyllis, to go to the other side in the boat? It's Jesus. 
He said, let's get in a boat and go to the other side. And the crowds had been following him. And guess what? Some people are like, well, we have boats. We'll follow too. Now, when we tell this story, we think it's just one per- just the disciples in a boat. But there are other people, Clay, out on the water with them. The Bible tells us that Jesus lays down to go to sleep while they're going across. He's obviously tired. That's what people do. He's fully God and fully man. He's got to sleep at some point. So he's in the boat going to sleep. And a storm comes up. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were fishermen. They'd probably been on this same body of water and they'd probably seen storms. So imagine you're in a place where you've spent your life making your living and the storm gets bad enough that it freaks you out and you're like, how are we going to get out of this? This is, this is bad. And in fact, they, they begin to panic and, and a lot of commentators say their comments to Jesus are almost rude. But up until this point, they've heard him teach. They've seen him heal the, the man with leprosy where Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, you can, you can be healed. We know at this point that he said to the guy with the withered hand, stretch out your hand on the Sabbath and it cost a big hubbub. They've seen Jesus perform miracles, but nothing like this. I mean, he's turned water into wine. But they haven't seen him in a full-blown storm. So they rush back to the back of the boat where he's the only one sleeping. And they go to wake him up. And they say, don't you even care? We're all about to die. I mean, that's essentially what they say. The, the translation I have is right here. They say this, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? This is that Jesus stands up and he rebukes something. He rebukes the waves. Well, the first thing he rebukes is the waves. He says, peace, be still. And the waters become like glass. It just, the wind stops and everything becomes calm. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, for a moment they had a chance for their faith to rise up and bubble up in the situation, but they weren't quite there yet. Their faith could have been shown, but they were too worried about drowning. They were too worried about their perspective. But this is God's grace, and this is God's grace for us, because even in those moments where our faith doesn't bubble up, God just doesn't say, well, forget it. I can't teach you anything today. He still pulls us by the hand and guides us along. Because this is what's great. David, go to the next slide if you would. I'll go to the next one. You see, their faith could have been shown, but but it but they didn't. Their question was, how could they get them through this is unknown. And what Jesus does is something is unknown that they've never seen before because they, again, they've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him heal people. But then he does something that he's never done before. How are we going to get through this? Which is a question we ask sometimes. We ask people we love around us, how are we going to get through this? Or we ask it, Basically to myself, how am I going to get through this? How? We get through it by God leading us by the hand. We get through it by Him carrying us through. Sometimes we get through it by Him dragging us, kicking and screaming. It's true. But the truth is, is He's constantly moving us to be more and more like him, to have his perspective, to understand that these things that are unknown aren't something to be afraid of. In fact, the unknown 
from a godly kingdom perspective, is something to be embraced and say, Lord, you've got this, so let's go. Where are we going next? It's not meant to be something that we stand back in fear when we know God's going that direction. We just almost have to say, hey, you got a flashlight? All right, we got it. Let's go. I can't see through this, but I know you're with me, so let's do it. And what it left them with, a few simple words, and their minds are blown. Now, my contention is, is going to be until I can stand in front of Jesus face-to-face and ask him. Because this is one of those things I just want to ask. I want to hear the words from his mouth. I want to I say, Carolyn, I just, I just want to get there and say, Jesus, when you said peace be still, were you talking to the guys on the boat? Or were you talking to the waves? Or were you just talking to everything surrounding you in the moment? Because to me, when I read it, what is awesome is that he says, peace be still to the waves, and it happens to the men in the boat with him. And I love that. That's why it's one of my favorite miracles in the Bible. Because he doesn't just calm the waves. He calms those guys. And they say, who is this? One of those things we read in the Bible and we've read so many times, we, we kind of just, who is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? No. It wasn't who is this. It was, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. They've seen him heal. They've seen him change. But all of a sudden their perspective, they stand back and they're just, they're like that moment where, where Peter looks at Jesus and, and just, you're the Christ. They're starting to get it. Even though they've been walking with him a while. So today, so today I want to leave you with this and, and pray for this. Let us be filled with awe and wonder at the power and provision of our God. We may not know where it's going to come from, but we can trust that he'll be there. Whether what we need is emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, that he will be there to guide us through the unknown so our faith can be shown. And we'll be left minds blown. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you for how it challenges us because I panic sometimes, Lord. So I pray that in, in my worry, word mind, panicking mind, that you help me and you help others in here who either worried or they're at that point of despair or they're discouraged. God, I pray that you would just Take our hand as we take steps into the unknown to how are we going to get through the next day in the situation we're in, whether it's a small little bitty annoyance or trouble or whether it's a great tragedy in our lives. Lord, I pray in all those situations, big and small, God, that you would teach us to further and deeper trust in you like the disciples. That in one moment, having seen you perform other miracles, They are completely in awe at your power. And God, I pray that we would have that same awe in you. That awe and wonder of what you can and will do in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we are encouraged by this. Lord, I thank you for this day and this time of year where we can just celebrate different things in our lives. Lord, I want to thank you for the moms in my life, my my wife who's an awesome mom, the, the ladies that I've 
been blessed to have them pour into my life, Lord. I pray a blessing on them. I want to pray a blessing on the moms here in this room who who have been a godly example for their children and are here today with that, Lord. We just pray that in all these things that your name would be praised and glorified in all that we do and all that comes out and shines out of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.